We're going to spend a few Sundays in Colossians. Uh, we will not likely go through it verse by verse. Uh, we may simply highlight some of the main themes, uh, some of the main purposes behind this letter that Paul wrote to the church that gathered in Colossae. It's uh, another letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison. Uh, he wrote a lot of letters while he was in prison to churches. So it could very well be that he would be writing a letter to a church that meets at Creekside. In the introduction, Paul commends this church for a number of things. It's not actually clear if Paul ever physically visited that church. He may have, uh, but we certainly can't say that for sure. But he would have known those in leadership in the Colossian church. He would have known those people. And he had, I'm going to say, a very good handle on the culture of the church. You might say that Paul knew what made that church tick. And so this morning when we look at the introduction... Paul's introduction in this letter to the church and those things which he commends them for, I want us to consider this. If Paul was to write a letter to us, the church at Lake Country here at Creekside, what commendations might he give to us? What descriptors might he choose to use to identify who we are? And perhaps, what admonitions would he give? Are we focused on the right things? Are we holding fast to that which we have heard? Or have we become sidetracked? Are we gaining spiritual maturity? Or are we susceptible to every new wave or every new wind of doctrine are we being tossed about looking for or grasping for something new? Paul actually addresses that same question about the focus of the church in many of his letters, just in slightly different ways. Sometimes as individuals, we are able to critique ourselves. But at times, our perception of who we are may actually not match the perception of those who see us, those people around us. And at times, having these things pointed out to us in our own personal lives can perhaps be a bit painful. And we can easily become defensive. We can say, wow, I didn't realize I tended to react in that way. I didn't realize I had that tendency. However, if we listen to people who have both the insight, the courage, and probably especially the love to point those things out to us, it can be to our benefit. The potential in our own lives to have a somewhat distorted view of ourselves, I think, can also exist within churches. 
And it's true that many churches at times will hire outside experts to come into the church and help them analyze who they are and how they operate. And perhaps the biggest question in that kind of an exercise is this. Is what we say about ourselves as a church at least to some degree matching what we are actually doing? I have had uh, opportunity both within the school system and, and also with the church uh, to sit on um, vision and mission statement committees. The goal of those is usually to help identify kind of who we are, where we're going. Uh, very often, I will admit, I have found that time to be time-consuming and to a certain extent exercises in frustration. And there's a picture a little cartoon here that probably captures my feelings at certain points. That there are those times where pointing a sharp stick in one's eye actually begins to seem like a reasonable option. <laughs> There's a second one here that comes probably from the business world. looking for a mission statement that's maybe slightly stronger than that. Uh, actually, there could actually be a church reality hidden in that. I read a book once that said nothing will stimulate a church to look at itself closely than to find itself in financial difficulty. It's not a good statement, but it has some truth even within the church realm. And I think there's one more. And this one certainly, I think I have certainly been party to. I eliminated all the platitudes and cliche statements from your mission statement, and I'm left with this blank sheet of paper. So sometimes, especially maybe within a school, maybe sometimes within a church, after careful wordsmithing and endless tweaking, after trying to identify what makes them unique as a school or as a church, committees often emerge with vision and mission statements that sound very similar to every other school and every other church. After all that work, and then you look at somebody else's mission statement, you say, oh my goodness, it's pretty much the same as ours, just slightly different wording. I do not think that is surprising because there are common expectations that people have for their school, that when you send your children to school, there are some common expectations that we have. The, church, the school will provide this for our kids. And I believe we may also have those common expectations for the church. And Paul, I would say, spends a lot of his time in the New Testament when he's writing to the churches, identifying to them what their focus should be and what those common expectations of the church of God, what they should look like. 
And Paul would say it is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is how the gospel is meant to change who we are within the context of the church, within the context of our own lives. Sometimes there's a temptation to adjust the message. And we probably know churches, we may even say we know denominations that are quite good at adjusting the message of rounding off the edges that may rub people the wrong way to water down the theology or even to water down morality to somehow make the message more palatable, to sound more inclusive, more tolerant, more accepting. Paul was unabashedly, I hope I use that word correctly, you can correct me after the service, unabashedly unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he tirelessly proclaimed the simple good news of the gospel and its call for Christ's followers to live honorable lives as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. He spoke that message over and over again. Sometimes as churches, we may try to carve out an identity that makes us stand out from church A or church B. To somehow find something that will make us unique. I think Paul would actually see that as misguided. That a desire to be unique can actually become a diversion from the simplicity of the gospel and the call to love and serve one another. And so Paul might say if your goal is to somehow figure out how you can stand out, you are likely off base. And so Paul's challenge to the church is to remain focused on who we are. To remain focused on our calling as children of God, why we exist and what that looks like within the church and what that looks like as we scatter during the week. Is our faith truly shaping our lives? And Paul begins Colossians by commending the church for a number of things. And so these would be things he has heard about the church that are worthy of celebrating. And I'm going to briefly identify four. They're actually captured in one verse. And while they may appear as separate items, faith, hope, love, fruit, they are actually intended to work together and be the evidence that faith is meant to impact life. And as we look at this this morning, real briefly, I would ask us to consider to what extent would those commendations fit who we are here this morning at Creekside Church. So Paul commends the Colossian church for its faith. Hebrews 11.6 says this, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Faith is at the essence of what we believe. Faith is at the essence of our salvation. We cannot come to God without faith, and holding on to faith is going to require perseverance. 
if anything that we will struggle with and battle with in life, I'm going to suggest, even within the household of faith, it is the challenge to hang on to faith. That there are competing voices that will challenge those things that you have professed in terms of faith, in terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in terms of who God is. And so Paul says, you need to persevere in faith. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says this, uh, also written by Paul to a different church. I think this accounts for the fact of why we occasionally struggle with what we believe. And there's a, a story in the Gospels, and I'm, I'm only going to reference it this way. When some, um, a person, I believe, who has just experienced an incredible healing says, I believe, but God help my unbelief. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says this, now we see things imperfectly. I think that statement it's a statement about, you know what, at times you are going to have a battle. You're going to have a struggle with hanging on to faith because we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, and we'll get to this when we talk about hope, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and it's incomplete. But then... I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Hebrews 3.14. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. That last statement is incredible. You hang on to faith, hang on to that which you first believed about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Eventually, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Later in Colossians, and I think it's even in this chapter, Paul writes this, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Even as Christians, I think at times we have a tendency to want more clarity, more proof, uh, greater confirmation. Yet Paul says, and the New Testament says, we need to be a people of God willing to follow him by faith. Paul then commends them for their love within the Colossian church and for their hope, and he actually connects the two. He says, I hear of your love for all the saints, for all the church, and it says this love is not powered by, let's say, similar personalities. I don't love my brothers and sisters in Christ because they all have a personality that's similar to mine. I don't necessarily love them because we all share the same interests, because I certainly know that we don't. But Paul says that the love we have is spurred on by the common hope that we share as children of God. 
And he's not talking about hoping for good weather or for clear roads or for a good job for the sale of our house. He's not talking about the hopes we may have for the safety or the success of our children, although we may hope and pray for those. Paul is speaking of a hope that will not disappoint because it is focused on that which is eternal. Hope that is actually founded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A hope that focuses on what lies ahead. As Paul says, the prize that lies ahead for those who believe. Colossians 1, verse 3 to 5. Paul says this to the church. We always pray for you. This is Paul in prison saying to the Colossian church, we always pray for you. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And it says, this love comes from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. And this morning I want to say we need to hold that eternal hope close to our hearts. And we need to celebrate it as a common thread that binds us together. That I see you as a brother or sister who embraces the same faith, who holds on to that same hope, and that reality that we share spurs us on to love one another. 1 Peter 1, verse 4 to 6, Peter put it this way. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. It's pure, it's undefiled, it's beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you may have to endure many trials for a little while. Some of those things that I referenced earlier as things that we may hope for. Good job. Safety or success of our children. Those things we hope for that actually are kind of part of what it means to live in this world. Those are the hopes that may very well be our trials. That we need to be willing in those trials to hang on to faith, and to hang on to the hope that lies ahead, which is eternal. So Paul talks about their faith, their love, their hope. And we know that it's not the first time Paul references those things. In fact, those three things are referenced so often in the New Testament, but they are highlighted in Corinthians 13 where Paul says this to that church, he says three things are going to last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. 
In Corinthians, these are words that Paul speaks into a church that has to some extent lost its bearings. The Corinthian church had its challenges. It's a church actually where faith seems to have existed, but love was certainly lacking. It's a church where greed and excess have trumped steadfast faith, steadfast hope, steadfast love. But in Colossians, Paul uses these words to describe what he sees in them. He says, I see those things in your church. And I ask, and I think about that this morning, would Paul use those words to describe us as a church here in Creekside? Are we steadfast in our faith? Are we hanging on to the hope that lies within that points us to that which is eternal? Are we steadfast in our love? A church where faith, hope, and love are in evidence is a church that is resting on things of eternal value. They are kingdom realities that move us, I want to say, from the tendency to be self-absorbed to a way of thinking and a way of living that frees us to love one another and frees us to embrace Almighty God. And lastly, in these verses of introduction, I see a description of a church where faith, hope, and love are not platitudes or empty cliches. They are not abstract spiritual concepts. They are things that drive us, that drive us as a church to live a certain way. And to the Colossian church, Paul says, your common faith, your common hope, your common love is evidenced in how you live, how you choose to walk, how you interact. He says this in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the entire world, which at that time in history would have really been the Roman world, which was huge, that empire was, but that Gospel continues today to bear fruit, and we said in Easter probably billion or more people celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ across this earth. Just as it has been doing among you, he says to the church, since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. And in his prayer for the church, Paul says this, Colossians 1 verse 9 to 10, his prayer for the Colossian church. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Our faith, our hope, and our love, those things that we share as brothers and sisters in Christ, is not meant to lead us to become strange people who do strange things. It is meant to be expressed in good works that God has laid out for us to do. While it is okay for the gospel to be offensive, and to some extent, the power of the gospel lies in its offense. It is not okay for me 
to be an offensive person. That I need to be okay with people who might say of me, Doug, you seem to be a good guy. How can you believe something so exclusive, something that sounds almost foolish, and something that I actually find offensive? I need to be willing to live with that, to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it is to change us into people who live in a worthy manner for the sake of the kingdom of God. We need to be willing to hang on to what Paul would say is the wisdom of God, which stands in contrast to the wisdom of this world. And there's a little uh, cartoon clip I found that I think speaks to that difference, the wisdom of God, the wisdom of man. There are many who would argue with a creative God, a God who created all that there is. And it actually sounds almost as absurd as a conversation between those two snowmen. Our faith, our hope, and our love should cause us to walk in a manner worthy of people who have been called by Jesus. The crowds that followed Jesus did not find him offensive. He welcomed the sick. He welcomed those who he described as they seemed like sheep without a shepherd. He welcomed children. He inspired life in people. He spoke with authority, it says, unlike the religious leaders of the day. That the only people who truly, when I think about the Gospels, found Jesus to be offensive were the religious elite, the religiously powerful. Those who found that when Jesus talked about himself and the kingdom of God, they found that a threat to the kingdoms they had set up for themselves on this earth. And so this morning, I pray that God would build and guard our faith here at Creekside Church. That God would cause us to embrace more fully the hope that is ours. The hope that lies in each one of us as a child of God. And I pray that God would help us love and to serve one another. That our own lives would bear evidence of the work of the Spirit of God. That we would bear kingdom fruit. That we would be ambassadors for the kingdom of God and not be ashamed of it. It's interesting when Steve Jobs was questioned about vision. He said this. And there is something true about these words, I think, even within the context of faith of the church and the kingdom of God. If you are working on something exciting that you really care about, you don't have to be pushed. The vision pulls you. And my prayer for us as a church and as a people is that we would actually feel compelled to live out what we believe. 
that God would speak that into our heart, into our minds, that we would be pulled by the reality of who we are as children of God, to love one another and to speak into this world. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold tightly without wavering, wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And I've said it before, I believe every time you make a decision to come and join the church, every Sunday that you make that decision to come and to praise God and to sit together as children of a God, you are actually encouraging one another just by being here. Paul ends this opening introduction to the church at Colossians uh, with a prayer that I hope would resonate with us this morning, and I'm going to close with it. Colossians 1, verse 11 to 14. He says, We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. I'm going to invite Chris to come up. This morning we want to... We want to actually give thanks for that very last phrase in that verse. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that in this introduction to the church at Colossian, that met at uh, Colossae, that, Father, even in these words that you would speak encouragement into us here. Uh, Father, help us to really continue to focus on the amazing truth and power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, may your spirit speak into our lives in a way that motivates us to love, that motivates us towards good works for the sake of the kingdom of God. Pray that this morning in Jesus' name, amen.